Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in back to the Cherishing Scripture podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Hudson, and along here with Zachary Taylor, Jeremy Boggs, Nathan Waters, and Pastor Brad Bailey here at the Brandon Baptist Tabernacle. And as we continue our studies through Galatians, we're going to be starting in chapter 2 and going as far as we can through verse 1 through 10. But if you would, uh, follow along with us if you have a copy of God's Word. If not, trust us, we read here out of the King James Bible, verses 1 through 10 of Galatians chapter 2. Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But of these who seem to be somewhat whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me, but con- contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the unto the and they unto the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. Now here in the text. It is a continuation of the context that started in chapter 1, down in verse number 10. And it goes back and it starts, For I do now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I please men, I should not be a servant or slave of Christ. Now what's going on here, to recap, Galatians is Paul confronting with love in a fervent way those who have been, as chapter 3 says, bewitched, and in his anger and frustration and in bewilderment even, he is confronting those who have gone away from the gospel, as he said in, in chapter um, 4, 5, and 6 of chapter 1, which is not another gospel. And we know that from our past studies that it is not of the same, but it is a different gospel from a different origin. And Paul here is saying, I am saying this not because I am of man, uh, but I am of Christ. I am coming of Christ uh, directly. This, what he's saying here is not a, is not a word of uh, descendants as the Hebraic custom is to, cha- uh, to hand down teaching and the teaching of the, of the Torah and the law from father to son, from teacher to pupil. But Paul is saying, I have directly received this of the Lord, and he has authority not only as a man of God but as an apostle of God to confront the issue that the gospel is at stake. And now in chapter 2, it goes on and says, 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, having Titus with him also, um, went up by revelation. He had received the revelation of God himself. He has 
uh, in the context and when Jerusalem he has the council behind him backing him um, he has men by his side Barnabas and he has a young pupil by the name of Titus and I have a question here as far as getting us through this chapter. Um, the question is, what is the, the significance of the context where he says in chapter 2, verse 2, that the Gentiles who um, he had asked him, he went up, let's go ahead and read chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. And I went up by revelation also and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached unto the Gentiles but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means um, I should run and had run in vain. Verse 3 here, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, why is that, why is that significant as far as the context is given here amongst these Judaizers? Paul confronting these Judaizers, why, what is going on? Pastor, would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, this this issue of circumcision is uh, is it goes much deeper than people actually think. Uh, in the Old Testament, you know, the history of circumcision comes down to the Abrahamic covenant. Every covenant had um, a tragedy and a sign that accompanied that covenant. Uh, for example, in the uh, the Noahic covenant, the tragedy was the flood. The sign was the rainbow. Hmm. In the Abrahamic covenant. Um, the sign is circumcision, and it was the sign that God had separated the fleshly heart of the children of Israel uh, unto himself in a spiritual manner. And so the circumcision, the sign of circumcision marking the Abrahamic covenant became uh, an eighth-day ceremony, which is significant in itself as well, as well because they were circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, eight being the number of new beginning. And so it was always a sign of God's separating his people unto himself, just like, you know, very plainly speaking here, just like the foreskin is separated and the uh, circumcision, the surgery of that is done. So it had relevance in the Old Testament. It was ratified by God. It was instituted by God. Uh, it was not only for believers, but it was also for unbelievers uh, because you didn't know if a child was going to be a believer on the eighth day or not, but nevertheless, they were circumcised. And so in some ways, it's been misinterpreted. In fact, in many ways, it's been misinterpreted. Uh, this is actually the foundation of infant baptism because uh, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters and some of our other um, uh, you know, folks in the religion of Catholicism and so on and so forth. The, these people believe in in infant baptism because they circumcise babies in the Old Testament, and they believe that a baby can have a sign of a covenant or a sign of uh, of devotion to God even before he or she is actually indeed converted to the Lord. So it has a deep history. Uh, the problem with it is that as many other precious doctrines in the Bible have been mistreated this one was mistreated by exaggeration when you carried it over into the new testament uh, and, and when jesus started the new testament church circumcision they were they were trying to enforce circumcision because they did not want to let go of the symbolism of it and so when jesus was saying that you know it's not required that people be circumcised in the new testament church um that flew in the face of every religious practice that they had. They were utterly turned off by that message. So the Apostle Peter was comfortable 
uh, going to what is what became known as the circumcision. He those are that refers to the Jewish body, and he believed that the circumcision were people of God, and they in turn uh, tried to maintain the ceremony of circumcision as a religious ordinance and as a as something that really stood out as important in the new covenant. And so the apostle Paul comes along here in chapter number two, and he, this is where he really starts grinding the ax and saying, look, uh, circumcision is not in fact required for new Testament believers. And even to this day, uh, we have to testify to that same uh, reality today. And, and his proof was Titus. Right. In chapter 2, verse number 3, uh, he says that Titus was Greek and was not compelled to be circumcised. And so um, this, um, this token of a servant of God, a spirit-filled, God-called New Testament preacher, not circumcised, was the illustration of what God can do uh, inside of a person, even when there's no external ceremony that takes place that identifies them with that um, with that sect or with that group of uh, with that uh, philosophy or with that teaching, and so uh, Paul actually in this book of Galatians he actually gets pretty confrontational about it. Later in the passage uh, in Galatians he actually says, "I would that." Uh, that you had been circumcised, and he actually uses a play on words where he says, I would that the knife had slipped, mm-hmm. insinuating that they not only had been circumcised, but they would have been castrated so they couldn't have any more children that were going to be raised to believe all of this foolishness. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Paul was very radical against circumcision. Uh, he at Himself, he was circumcised as a Jew, as a boy, but uh, he was very, very radical when it came to coming out against the works based symbolism of circumcision. So in a nutshell, you know, there's much more discussion that could be had about it, but in in a nutshell, um, Paul denounced circumcision as a weakness. And the reason he denounced it as a weakness is because number one, um, it is not suitable for believers because what about our sisters in Christ? Who cannot go through the rite of circumcision physically? Hmm. Um, you know that leaves more than fifty percent of the congregation out, and a very important part of the congregation as well. And so, uh, it is—it's uh, a strongly, strongly worded passage here. He says, "Titus is my example of uh, of someone who has not been circumcised and should not be compelled to be." And then he goes on in verse number four and gets even stronger, and he says, "These false brethren." Who are insisting that this should take place uh, are are basically counterfeits. And he said they're spying out our liberty. And so uh, Paul says that if you're believing this as a method of salvation, you're not even believing the true gospel. You're not even a true believer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so you any strongly like collaborate as far as the question. Another question here: Would you agree that this thing of circumcision, at least in this context, has turned out to be more than just a symbol, but it's become in I would say intrinsically, but at least um, critically, uh, embarking on the message of the gospel. I something came to mind when Pastor was was going through that. Um, I remember when you preached out of Matthew on the things that the Pharisee says, and two of them were, "Thank God I am not a Gentile," right, and the other one was, "Thank God I am not a woman." Not a woman. 
you could right. see you could see both of those and when you're dealing with the circumcision you can that's like the next natural step for a pharisee yeah and so for paul to come in you know later in the the epistle here he says in christ there's neither bond nor free mm-hmm. there's neither jew nor gentile but then he says there's neither male nor female you know, almost all of those have in some way a connection to the external display of circumcision. <clears throat> and the Jews were very passionate about it. Excuse me. They, they were very passionate about it. I mean, if you ask him, a person if he was a Jew, he would not confirm that verbally. He would lift up his robe and show you his circumcision, show you his circumcision scar. And that's exactly how adamant they were about it you know and so if you could not do that they felt like you were substandard i'm i for one i'm thankful that when you see over here in uh uh verse nine it says and they give them the right hand of fellowship that sounds a lot better than uh lifting yeah. up your robe so yeah. people can see the fellowship yeah i mean yeah. you know paul he, he basically <laughs> points out here you know he, he basically points out here in chapter number two you know these are the conditions of the gospel uh, he talks about the gospel of the uncircumcision in chapter 2, verse number 7. And um, uh, that is identified here as the true gospel. And then he talks about a gospel of the circumcision. Well, we got two gospels being preached here. you know. And so what Paul is contending is that if you're preaching that circumcision is still required, you're preaching another gospel. Hmm. Very dangerous. Right. It, is, it, is, it has gotten to where it is damnable. Not only is it, it should have been a symbol, it should have been just a, a harmless usage of the message that God had used in the Old Testament and brought into the New as far as that, that what God had done as far as marking his people and the message behind that and how intimate it should have been between that, that people and God that has become, in the, in the hands of Judaizers, a way of um, snatching away a newfound flock. And grabbing them back into their old yeah, and yeah. you know, and just just to add a footnote to that too, you know, in verse number ten, they actually gave a concession. Verse nine, they they gave him the right hand of fellowship, and then uh, you know told him to go to the uncircumcision, and they would go to the circumcision. But in verse ten, there's this con- concession: only they would that we should remember the poor, and remembering the poor was another one of those Old Testament Jewish methods of identification. And so they said, okay, we'll compromise on the circumcision issue, but we still want to ask you to remember the poor. And Paul said, that's not a problem because that's biblical. You can Mm -hmm. still – you see the point there? You can still remember the poor in the New Testament and not be violating the covenant. But when you say that a person has to have a physical surgery in order to ratify the covenant in their life, Paul Paul contends here that that is not uh, the true gospel. He says that's a dangerous version of another gospel. Right. Yeah, and I don't know about you guys, but when Nathan was reading and then I rereading it here while Pastor was speaking, uh, it's definitely it seems like Paul's very combative in his words. Some of the yes. things he says, he says they came in to spy out, meaning uh, that they snuck in, acted like they were part of it, but they were really just there to get information, right? Not really a part of it. And it's uh, it's a very uh, some of the things he said in here were very combative, and we see that. Uh, actually, in our next podcast, we'll talk about it when he says he withstood Peter to the face. It was a big issue to him. Um, and, and I got a question for uh, you guys. How do you think that we would see, how do you think we would see this um, circumcision, so to speak, uh, circumcision at this time was the issue? How would we see this in today's gospel? How, how does this affect today's gospel? 
Uh, if you add anything or take away from First Corinthians 15, death, burial, oh. resurrection, if you yep. take away or add to, that is this paralleled uncircumcision and circumcision deb- yep. debate. It's, it's, it, take, for instance, if you have a television, you're lost. Yep. If you I've do heard this, that preached. If yep. you do this or do that, if you play cards, you're lost. Where in, where in the scripture is that in the gospel? Yep. How about this, I know I'm saved because I speak tongues. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're dealing with that on the streets because that is this prosperity gospel, this uh, um, charismatic influence has bled over into the streets and the homeless ministry and the homeless uh, has having to contend with that because we have not preached a unadulterated gospel. Christ, Christ alone. Listen, the blood is what purchased it. Christ's death, Christ's burial and resurrection, God's approval of that. Uh, it, it has become more and has become a circus. Um, and sadly, Paul here understands what is at stake. The pillars of the church. He, he was going to them private, verse 1 through 3. He's going to them privately. But in four, to 4, all the way down to eventually verse 11 where he confronts Peter, it has gotten public. Yeah. And I think... And, and it's no longer can this can this be held behind closed doors. we got to talk to this in front of the whole church. I think it's important for people to understand, too, those that listen. We're not saying uh, that it's wrong to have standards. Actually, in fact, I know Pastor, personally, from being around him a lot, Pastor has very high standards, and most of us in here have pretty high standards, and all of our standards are differently are different. Some people uh, feel convicted about wearing certain things, while others don't. Uh, my dad doesn't wear uh, shorts, and my dad doesn't wear short sleeve shirts. Uh, but so it's not wrong. I guess what I'm saying is it's not wrong to have standards. It's okay to have standards, uh, but in this instance, uh, making that standard a part of your salvation is wrong. Right. So if someone. And for per se, the Bible talks about the weaker brethren. If someone has a conviction about having a television in their house, well, that's their standard, and that's okay. But they can't preach that to other people as a necessity to be saved. Yeah, and it has to be kept in the proper context. You know, the the misunderstanding that has been perpetrated in this whole situation is that the higher the the higher the standard and the more standards you have the stronger you actually are when in fact the bible teaches the complete opposite to that right. what the bible actually teaches is that you have to have standards because you're weak you have to have standards to keep you out of trouble because you're so weak but the person who is able to exercise their liberty in Christ and enjoy some freedom some yeah some morally neutral things some freedom and some morally neutral things, then that person is actually called a stronger brother in the Bible. And, uh, you know, so we have an issue here, stronger and weaker brother. Uh, you know, so when somebody comes along and says, look, you have to be circumcised in order to identify, um, that'd be the same thing as me saying, you need to get Jesus as Lord tattooed across your forehead so you never forget it. Mm-hmm. You know, so who reminds us that Jesus is Lord if we don't tattoo it on our foreheads? Well, the Holy Ghost. Yeah. Is the is the teacher, and the Word of God is our textbook, and so we're being reminded constantly without an external sign right. that Jesus is Lord. We don't. It's the same thing as this, and I want I want you to speak to Jeremy, but it's the same thing as this. We don't stitch and embroider the commandments around the hems of our garments anymore. Why? Because we don't need an external reminder 
that Jesus is Lord. Yeah. We have the internal compulsion of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Just and maybe that you guys can kind of help me think about this, but when reading this and then kind of knowing what all this means to a Jew, the whole idea for them to be circumcised or to do any other ritual was to because they were supposed to be different. They were supposed to be different than any other nation that was out there because they lived in a pagan time. So we're now telling them that, well, you don't have to do that anymore. And so I guess what I guess what I'm trying to say is like people I asked Zach, I said, why would you not want to give up some of those rituals? And he said, well, people with traditions are stubborn. And so um, that's exactly right. Why? I, yeah. I, I don't know. It's well, it's hard to, when you're taught something forever and then introduce something totally new. It's well, you don't need well, that. Hey, it's yeah, think about it this way. Think about it. If we go by the Bible's history, it'd be before Christ came was what, 4,000 years, correct? Yeah. So right. for 4,000 years, they were taught this standard. They were taught this dietary standard. They were taught circumcision. They were taught this for 4,000 years. This is what they were supposed to do. Well, they got... Uh, captured and they had to go into the land of the Gentiles, which, by the way, always remember, the Jews hated the Gentiles. They called them dogs, yeah. which was very derogatory. So even in those times, they kept their standards. They circumcised. They did all these things. And then here comes Jesus, the Messiah, and he says, all of that doesn't matter. He basically says that your circumcision doesn't matter. What matters is the circumcision of the heart. Yeah. So for them, they're like, well, I've been doing this for so long. There ain't no way I'm changing. It's hard to change that habit. Yeah. Yep. And then to make matters worse, when you say, oh, yeah, and hey, by the way, I didn't just come to save you. I came to save these people the you call dogs. Yeah, the whole world. Gentiles, too. Yeah. Uncertain. They're like, no way. Yeah. yeah. Well, who, I mean, they were always, they kind of made themselves like they were the perfect people, which they're God's people, and that's what made them different. But now they're saying that they have to be God's people with other people mm-hmm. that came from a pagan background. So I'm not like saying I, I like the, the, the Jews were justified then, but I, I guess I can get it. I guess I can get it a little yeah, bit. I, I totally get it because the the concept of external standards is so addictive because it, it gives you this, you, it creates the haves and the have-nots. You know, you have the people that are living right, the people who are not living right, the people who have the Holy Ghost, people who do not have the Holy Ghost, the people who are anointed and the people who are not anointed. And, uh, and, and, and when you base all of those things on external standards, you know, I know this guy's not anointed because... You know, he has a worldly hairdo or because he has, you know, I saw him in jogging shorts or this or that. That is a misrepresentation. It does not represent genuinely what may be in a person's heart. Yeah. You know, and all of us know people who have extremely high standards and they have no fruit of the spirit. And then we also all know people who have virtually no standards but the love of Christ dwells in them richly and they walk in the word and they care about sinners. And so, you know, it's, it's not external. It's yeah. an well, internal thing. And that, that's the thing. And I think sometimes these things can be, you know, like you, you can start to teach yourself these things or convince yourself of these things. For example, me with pants, it was never told to me that if I didn't wear pants that I was a sinner, but I started to feel that way by myself because I'd see men wearing sh- or pants and I'd be like well if I don't wear them then I'm not as good as them but then 
uh, actually it's just been this year uh, when I've been hanging out with Nathan a lot more and stuff like that and just people and Jeremy and all y'all and I see y'all wearing shorts and I'm like well what really is wrong with wearing shorts and I've had to ask myself these questions so I can I can personally really relate to the Jews with the whole circumcision issue because uh, for me that was the pants issue it was asking myself well why do I really do this yeah. why do I wear pants because I was never told that if I don't wear pants I'm a sinner I was never told that but I had right. convinced myself of that yeah and it's something that it's very easy to get caught and go down that and it it's as they say it's a very slippery slope once yeah. you start getting going down that uh, then uh, you hey, you can get far far very fast and that's what I tell all my young people I say look don't have a standard because I tell you to find it yourself right establish your own standards uh, and keep those I don't and think Paul's putting down standards though here no that's no. what I'm he's saying. saying he's not putting down right. standards he's saying that that's it's not a requirement it's good exactly. to have those standards like if you were if you were a Jew or a Greek or whatever and you got saved you can still get circumcised but it's not a requirement yeah right exactly so, he said whether I'm circumcised or uncircumcised profiteth me nothing yeah I, I, one time I was talking to a um, a messianic friend and they're they're really big into keeping the ceremonial laws and um, kind of boiled down to you know you can do this if you want I mean, and there's health benefits that come along with circumcision, uh, keeping the dietary laws. Um, there's benefits to remembering the Sabbath rest. There's benefits to all these things, but it's you don't have to keep those every day because they essentially are fulfilled in Christ. Yeah. And they a lot of times they quote that verse out of context where Jesus said, I come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. And they quote that like, see, even Jesus fulfills the law. Well, no, no other Jew uh, in his lifetime or in time past had kept the law. Right. They all broke it, but Jesus fulfilled the law. He was the fulfillment of it. And, that's, and so you don't have to keep it anymore. That's the funny thing about chapter three. When we get there, every, well, they all thought Abraham was a perfect man. Here's my question, and totally I understand that the, the Bible. Point, yeah. Here's my question too. I understand that the Bible says that uh, God will bring every work into judgment, whether it be good or evil. But here's the thing, and this is something I honestly believe: when God sees you, He's not even going to be looking at whether you wore pants or not. Right. No. He's going to be looking at the blood of Christ. That's ultimately what's going to matter. And I think that's what Paul is saying here is that, look, you can have standards and standards aren't wrong. But when it comes down to it, God's going to look to see if you have the blood of Christ covering your sins. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, everything after that is just extra. Yeah, because if we were held to the law standards, we'd all be going to hell. Well, that's that's why verse 20 is so important. It's like the summarization of what salvation is. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So when God sees us now being saved and born again, he sees Christ. Yep. The standards we have are great, uh, and they help us with our walk with Christ, but our standards aren't what saved us. No, no. And and it needs to be said also here that there's a difference between an institutional standard and a a true religious standard. Institutionally, I agree with institutional standards. Mm -hmm. And when I say institutional standards, I'm talking about that everyone who is going to sing on the platform Mm -hmm. or preach on the platform or play an instrument on the platform, they need to have... 
uh, a certain standard by which we can look we can look at them and say no we, we can't permit you on the platform if you're wearing that right or singing that right but that's an institutional standard and it's the same way you know I've told I've told staff members a lot of times I say look institutional standard when you know you're going to be seeing church people when you know you're going to be seeing young people when you know that that's what the arrangement is going to be you need to be dressed like you would be at church yeah and the reason i tell them that is because that's an institutional standard but what they do in their own private time is literally between them and god i have no authority over uh, those types of behaviors when they're in their private time. And again, we have to understand too, you know, this is getting into a long discussion here, but there is the, there's the term that I've talked to several of you guys about in the past, adiophorus, which is the gray areas of scripture that are not specifically addressed in scripture. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about drunkenness here. That's forbidden. Mm-hmm. We're not yes. talking about homosexuality. You have a, you're, you know, you can be a homosexual in your private life if you want to, as long as you act one way at church. That's not mm-hmm. what we're saying. Right. What we are saying is that in areas of adiophorus that are not clearly where God covered, doesn't speak specifically where God does not speak specifically about that subject then you have liberty in Christ to either enjoy or or be forbidden to enjoy that with your own conscience and your conscience will be empowered and energized by the Holy Spirit to help you make that judgment well, so it's not for me to stand yeah. in judgment and over that, you that's like just you said, like institutional standards are fine for instance Jeremy at his job is told he can't have a beard right there's nothing wrong with institutional standards and the thing is and nathan and i both know if you came back today with your face shaved and you said hey guys male staff members aren't allowed to have beards well the beard's got to go then at that point right because that it's an institutional standard right and there's nothing wrong with that well Uh, you should you should look presentable that's right. and the church should be the same way. Yeah, if you're going to work at McDonald's, you got to wear a McDonald's uniform. Right. For the record, I'm glad you go to McDonald's and <laughs> For say, the record, I'm glad you let us have beards, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I'm really yeah, glad. I yeah. think you should tell them to shave it. <laughs> you're just mad. I am. But if if you know, you can't you can't go to Chick-fil-A and say I, this is what I want to wear today. Right. Cuz you, you don't know, look like a Chick-fil-A Because member. you don't look like a Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A employee. Right. Does that mean you're not a human? No. It just means you're not an employee. It just means you're not an employee. And when you there. come to church, you should look like a church member That's or exactly like a, right. or like a Christian. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I get it. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it. we've nailed that as far as covering that. Um, Paul sums it up here in uh, chapter 2, verse 6. says, God, uh, he accepted no man's person. Right. That break word is an external uh, adornment. He, he, God is not looking on the outside. We already know that. He looks on the inside. And as far as the intrinsic value and the meaning of the gospel, Paul is saying it goes further than skin deep, literally. No pun intended. He is saying it goes in the heart. But those that want to change the true meaning of the gospel, yeah. adding to or taking away, he said, I've got to put my foot down. And we'll deal with that as far as continuing verse number 11 and on in our next podcast. But I do appreciate you listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to visit us on our website at brandonbaptisttabernacle.com. We have a, a visitor's page there. You can feel free to, to uh, make your remarks there if you want to uh, make a donation or anything that's available as far as past messages. As far as the church, we're, pre- or we're presently going through our prophecy series right now in these uh, in these uh, dangerous times as far as, say, as far as what's going on in our, our country. But we ask you if you would um, uh, visit us on some of our other platforms as well. Um, and also if you would... Uh, 
You might need to edit that there, Jeremy. But if, yes, visit us on our website. And uh, how should I close that out? <laughs> uh, tell them about Podbean and, and Apple. Other platforms? Jeremy, go ahead and tell us some of our, our, uh, our yeah. platforms that we're We've been recently removed from a few of them. But um, we've got YouTube. We've got, uh, we're still on Apple. We're still on Google. We're still on, um, we're not on Poppy anymore. We're on um, Outcast, or not, yeah, we're a bunch of Outcasts. Pocket Casts, um, and a couple other things. But one of the main importance, we, we like hearing from you guys. So you, if, if you're on YouTube watching, leave us a comment on YouTube. Yes, like and uh, comment. We've got it. If you'd rather it be personal, we've got an email address. Uh, I'll leave that in the link there. You can email us, and somebody here will respond. Um, but we we do like hearing from you guys. So, but that's it, man. All right. Until next time, we will be here, uh, cherishing scripture podcast, changing society by cherishing scripture. Thank you for listening.